were two days ago, uh, we congregated together here, didn't we, around the word of God, to look at that great day of the atonement. Uh, it was the day when the incarnate Son of God, he was hanged on a tree just like a common criminal. And we marvel that this, this most high majesty, his Lord Jesus Christ, uh, was tortured and killed by mere people, creatures who he himself had created. And to make things worse, this Prince of Life was murdered by the very people that God had first chosen to reveal himself to. Uh, you remember the Jewish people had been blessed with all kinds of mighty miracles. They'd had prophets of God among them. And now they had even the coming of their own Messiah. We also noted that the taunts that, that, that came from the bystanders while Jesus was on the cross. He could not save himself, they said. And I think we agreed that their mistake was that they thought Jesus didn't have the power to save himself. The truth was far more brilliant and shocking, uh, which was that Jesus was fully committed to staying on the cross until the entire penalty for our sins had been paid. And then finally on, on Friday, we, we looked at the anguish of soul that uh, Jesus suffered. On the one hand, we, we, we understood it was necessary for Jesus to do this alone. There was no Heavenly Father to receive his prayers at that time. There was no Holy Spirit to comfort him. No angels to minister to him during those long three hours. But on the other hand, it was with gladness of heart that we saw him see it through. See, had he succumbed to the temptation inside him to, to give up his mission, all of God's people, including everyone here today, by the way, would face the same fate as the rest of the world. That's just darkness, a lost eternity. But he chose instead to stay put and have on him placed the sins of us all. Now the Bible puts a huge emphasis on Calvary, right? I often say it's one of the most pivotal moments in human history. Perhaps even the most important. But let's remember that that's just one stage in the process of God securing salvation for, for his people. So we need to make this point today especially. We need to be clear. This great sacrifice of Jesus Christ would be useless had he remained in the grave. That's the truth of it. It was necessary for our salvation that Jesus would be raised from the dead. And this he did. And he is alive, friends. He is alive. And his rising from the dead is at the absolute core of our Christian faith. So on this, uh, on this special uh, day, I'd like us to look at some of the predictions about Jesus rising again. I want to look at the, the, at the event itself, the event of the resurrection itself. And I think about some of the consequences, some of the results of him rising from the dead. So I want to turn first to Psalm uh, 16. 
Psalm 16, verses 9 and 10. Someone here is praying to God. Says, this person says, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul in Sheol. That's the grave. Or, or let your Holy One see corruption. Well, whoever this is talking about... They're praying to God that when they die, that they won't be left to rot in the grave. Now, it's a special request, isn't it? Because decomposition, that's, that's the nature of things after we die. That's the normal way of things. But this person praying in the psalm is certain that because he is the Holy One, God will make an exception for him. Now we're not left to wonder or debate who this refers to because in the book of Acts the Apostle Paul says very clearly that the one praying in this psalm was none other than the Son of God. So Jesus confesses to his Father his confidence that he will be raised from the dead very soon after his death. Jesus Christ did die. It wasn't, a, it wasn't an illusion. Jesus Christ did die. He did go into the grave, which was called by the Greeks Hades. But his confidence was well grounded because he wasn't abandoned, but he was resurrected after just a few days. Now we go back a few chapters in Matthew to uh, chapter 20 and verse 17. We have a record of Jesus talking about himself, his, his own exit from the grave. Matthew 20, verse 17 says, And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. That's what Jesus says. He not only told them that he would be raised, but when it would happen as well. He knew the exact day. Um, now, a few, a, few chapters, a few chapters back in, in Matthew, um, Jesus compares his time in the grave to Jonah's spell in the belly of the fish. And he uses that to show that he too would come back on the third day. Uh, as a little aside, I, sh I, should, I should point this out. The Bible sometimes speaks of Jesus being raised from the dead by, by God, but it also talks about Jesus raising himself. So, what we conclude when we look at the scriptures is that the raising of Jesus was an act of, uh, it was carried out by the Father, 
and the Holy Spirit and the Son himself. It was a Trinitarian act, this resurrection. But okay, we'll have a look at one more reference about these, uh, these, um, these predictions and who they refer to. So in, in Paul's, Paul's first letters to the church at uh, Corinth, so in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians, and chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 says, Paul says, For I delivered to you, the people, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and what? That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Paul knew, the, the early church knew, they were aware that the, the life and the, the, um, the death and the resurrection of Jesus was in complete harmony with the descriptions of the Messiah in the Bible. So he was the fulfilment. So this resurrection, it was an incredible event. And it was all part of that grand purpose of God to, to just have as his own people and friends those who he would eventually save. So we've just looked at some examples of these predictions and Jesus fulfills them. So let's have a think about the event itself, the event of the resurrection itself. So we need to establish first, I think, why the resurrection of Jesus was so special. We can all recall examples in the scriptures, can't we? Throughout the history of the Bible, we can see people brought back from the dead. Elijah the prophet visited a woman, a widow woman, in a place called Zarephath, and her son died. And Elijah brought that child back to life. Jesus himself, didn't he? He called out to that grave over there. He shouted to his friend, who'd been dead four days, by the way, Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. And sure enough, the dead guy raises up and starts walking about. And they took all the wrap and bandages off him and he was alive. Well... The raising of Jesus was unique. It was, it was special, you see, because those two people in the Bible are mentioned and all the others who were raised from the dead, they were given a little bit of extra time on this earth, but they all eventually died again. Jesus was raised in this spiritual body. It was neither a body like ours, or it, and it wasn't a ghost, it wasn't a spirit either. It was a real body, but it was one that would never die. It's worth noting, you know, that why Jesus raised Lazarus after four days. Jesus didn't seem to be in too much of a rush. It was timed. Four days. The reason seems to be that in ancient societies, they regarded the fourth day after death 
as special, as significant, because to them, that's when the body would start to decay properly, you know? So you see how that even Lazarus, not to the third day, but to that fourth day, when he was, he was on his way, you know, the worms had already started at him. And you see how the miracle of raising Lazarus then was made that much more impressive. It was an impossibility made possible. But we can also see then, on the basis of that tradition, we can also see symbolically anyway, we can see that the resurrection of Jesus on the third day avoided the beginnings of that process of decomposition or corruption as it's called. So it's true what the scripture said, he would not be left in the grave long enough to experience the corruption of the flesh. And so it was, friends, that Jesus, having been in the grave for three days, he marched right out, marched right out to Hades in absolute victory. The church rejoiced because their testimony to other people now was being vindicated by this amazing event. The Jews, on the other hand, got it. They just wanted to bribe people and tell lies to try to cover the thing up. We had the holy angels. They, no doubt, they'd been holding their breath for three days and now celebrated because their Lord was being returned to them. But as for the devils, well, what a horror from their perspective. They thought they had a victory when they saw him killed. And it was not a victory at all. And without doubt, if they could, they'd bury him again and pile on every mountain in this world to stop him getting back up. It was too late. It was too late. And they knew that they knew at that point that they had lost the war with God. The grave, you know, is it's sometimes uh, likened in Scripture to a giant creature. It's likened in Scripture to this giant creature with these massive jaws and people who die are sort of, you know, <laughs> uh, is swallowed up, if you like, by this, this giant creature called death. And so we might think that, like with Jonah, now, now Jonah in, in the fish, fish don't eat people, and so Jonah was like a foreign body inside that fish. He did not belong there. And that fish soon got rid of him. It was at the time of God, but that fish did spew him out. And so it was with the Son of God that he did not belong in the grave. He did not belong there. And so the grave just ejected him. The grave simply couldn't hold him. One of the hymn writers wrote this. One day, the grave could conceal him no longer. The grave had lost its power. One day, the stone rolled away from the door. Then he arose. Over death he had conquered. Now is ascended, my Lord, evermore. He is risen, friends. And that was the great event of the resurrection. But what of the consequences of it? Let's think about the purpose, the results of it. Back in 1 Corinthians 15, and verse 20 this time, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. 
He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man, Jesus, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so all in Christ shall be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then that is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. So, what Paul's doing there when he mentions um, Christ being the first fruits, about uh, it talks about the kingdom. What Paul is doing is he's, he's given us a couple of examples of the, the consequences of Jesus rising from the dead. And so, what I'd like to do is um, finally, I'd like to go quickly through a list of some of the reasons that the Bible gives for the resurrection of Jesus. And so, firstly, the resurrection of Jesus showed that Christ was God. And so, you see, this has left us with this wonderful, wonderful doctrine, hasn't it? Uh, that Jesus was not just a man like us. Jesus was, he was also God. Uh, secondly, the resurrection fulfilled numerous Bible prophecies, as we've looked at some of those. And what that does is it gives us today greater confidence in the scriptures as having authority. It does say fairly that the resurrection blessed Christ himself. It made Christ happy to be resurrected. And of course, for us, our hearts are made glad when we see our Saviour happy. Fourthly, the resurrection showed that the sacrifice that Jesus had made was acceptable to God. It was a vindication by God. And it's through that we understand that as God accepted Jesus' sacrifice, so we can be accepted through Jesus. The fifth one is that the resurrection allowed Christ to reclaim his throne. And the scriptures tell us, not only has Christ gone to reign again, but that we reign alongside him, even now, even right now. Sixthly, the resurrection, we're told, it declares to the world judgment to come. Judgment. An awful time for many, yet we who belong to Jesus today, we will come through that declared fully innocent Seventhly, the resurrection enabled Christ to take up his place as our advocate. So he's there now. He's interceding for us today at the throne of God. And the resurrection finally was a great victory over death itself. You see, this is how we have spiritual life now and be given immortality in the future. The first chapter of Revelation, you will you remember maybe that uh, John, uh, he fell down at the feet of the Saviour, 
And Jesus laid his hands on him and said, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I died, but behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. <laughs> this, uh, I don't know, this present world might last another ten years, a hundred years, a thousand years, I know. I, I don't know. The fact is, when Jesus returns, we'll most likely, friends, every one of us, be in the grave. And in this present image, we're imagining this grave as a, as a giant prison, if you like. But it says here that Jesus has the keys. Jesus has the keys to the great iron gates of this prison. And it says that he'll unlock those gates and he'll swing them wide open. And he'll free us all. And we'll all come out and he'll give us immortality. Just like his own. And all that faces there is an ongoing state of uninterrupted happiness with Jesus and each other and all the other saints. It's a marvellous thought. Because, I promise I am finishing now. Because Jesus is risen. said that we too will be brought out of our graves and made alive forevermore. All opposition to God and us will have been wiped out. All that will be left standing is the bride of Christ in all her splendour. That's the church. Standing there, as it said, amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. This is where the story was always coming to. In that great place, that paradise of God promised to us, we'll experience the perfected form of what we have now. I mean, we, we do experience true joy now, don't we? But then it will be heightened and it will be endless. And we're able to express love to one another. We're able to receive love now. But then, our love for God and each other will be untainted by sin in, in, in each of us. And although that we have real communion with each other now and with Jesus, then... It will be truly face to face. I can only imagine, friends, the, the, the conversations that will take place and the praise that will take place in the world to come. The archaeologists over there in Israel, they can, they can dig up Jerusalem all they like. They can spend the next hundred years and they can dig up Jerusalem and all the regions around in the hope of finding this great, great historical find, the remains of Jesus Christ. But they won't, they won't see him. Uh, he was there, but not anymore. He is risen, friends. Hallelujah. Amen.